John chapter 8 verse 29 The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, because I always do what is pleasing to him. Heavenly Father, as we listen to this podcast, let us listen, O Jesus, out of love for you. Dear Mother, let me speak out of love for you. O Jesus, King of love, I put my trust in thy merciful goodness that you will grant me the grace to speak, to listen, according to your will. My Lord, I offer this through the Immaculate Heart of Mary at the foot of Jesus' cross for conversion of sinners, salvation of souls and purgatory, especially for those that are most in need of thy mercy. Come Holy Spirit, come by means of the powerful intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary, your well-beloved spouse. Come Holy Spirit, come by means of the powerful intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary, your well-beloved spouse. Come Holy Spirit, come by means of the powerful intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary, your well-beloved spouse. Lord Jesus, I surrender all those that are listening. Wash them in the precious blood of Jesus and fill them with your Holy Spirit. Enlighten our mind and hearts to discern what is your will, to know what is pleasing to you, O Father, Abba, Father. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. John chapter 8 verse 29 The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, because I always do what is pleasing to him. As I was thinking about this Bible verse, I was wondering, what is pleasing to the Lord? And when I was thinking about what is pleasing to the Lord, I was thinking of those who please the Lord, starting from the Old Testament. There's a lot of figures that come to my mind. However, there are a few stories that stick to me. One of them is the story of Joseph, King Hezekiah, especially when he was faced initially with his first death and how he told God, saying, Lord, I've been doing what is pleasing to you until he turned away later. And the story of Job. Also, there are other people, as we read the Old Testament, where you see they're trying to constantly seek what is pleasing to the Lord. So in that, in that attempt to see how these people were pleasing the Lord, their trade sort of narrowed down to what is contained in the wisdom books. There are seven wisdom books in the Bible, that is Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Sirach, 
Song of Solomon, and Wisdom. And in these, uh, and these books, there are three of them that specifically stands out in a conjunction where they explore different themes, and those are Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. In the book of Proverbs, it is more like aimed at teaching the moral law, divine versus human, where the author is writing about how we become good and honest people as a first step towards a holy life. And holy life is what is pleasing to the Lord. And he talks about practical relationships between God and man, how we need to be with parents, children, and all of those things. Like how is our relationship with God? And then he boils it down to how is our relationship with other people. At the base of all of this lies the fear of the Lord. And one thing the uh, book of Proverbs brings out is the virtue, virtue of this man who is trying to please the Lord. He is someone who would have a fear of God. He would love one's neighbor. He would have charity, truthfulness, temperance, prudence, suffering and silence while being aware of God's friendly providence. So a person who is all contains all of these virtue will have wisdom. It also stresses the uses of like freedom and how a person can resist and even reject wisdom. And how a wise man possess all of these virtues, whereas like a foolish man is the one without these, one who lacks these virtues. He is, and his way of life leads to death, but the wise man's way of life leads it to the, the goal, some goal, which is life. So one way it presents is that like you know we receive a reward for the way we are living and everything and there's a reward for pleasing the lord and initially i think that is like a first step that a lot of people take towards pleasing the lord before we even look into the life of jesus i just wanted to like go through these three sort of stages of how we try to please the lord and there's even more if we dig in and one is like we try to please the Lord, and deep inside our heart, whether we worship it or not, we expect, expect some sort of reward for our actions. We expect that God is going to be merciful to me. God will hear my prayer. And there is nothing inherently wrong with these expectations. But is that truly the motive that a man who's trying to please another person should have. For example, when we please other people in our own life, like our friends, you give a gift to your best friend. When it's your birthday coming around, you perhaps expect a gift to be returned from your best friend. And same thing you see in a mar marital relationship as well. Like when you give your spouse a gift for your anniversary, you expect your spouse to remember and give you a gift back this is sort of like the attitude in like proverbs and proverbs then we move on to the book of ecclesiastes where it just talks about 
the usefulness of human things, and it describes everything as vanity of vanities. It talks about the vanity of knowledge, pleasure, wisdom, human striving, ambition. Like none of these things can bring a man true happiness. Like, are we trying to please the Lord because we're trying to be happy and trying to? Are we trying to have a good life on this earth? Is that our motivation in pleasing the Lord? Because if that is the motivation in pleasing the Lord, then. If we are focused on just a happy life on this earth, then it is full of vanity, because it is covered with self, where we want ourselves to be happy. And I'm not saying like there's something again inherently wrong with us feeling happy or us even desiring that happiness. Truly, God gave us these desires, and God is not going to leave them unfulfilled. But one is. We need to know the deep intentions in our heart. Where is it really about pleasing the Lord, or is it really about pleasing me? And Ecclesiastes also brings a sort of treatise on the moral conduct, and it observes the vanity of things and how they are incapable to satisfy the deepest yearnings of our heart. Our heart longs for something like it's not just to be content and to have a happy, settled life when we try to please the Lord. It's more than that. Our hearts yearn for something more, and some of the joys and the beautiful graces that we receive in this present life should not make us just dwell on them, but rather it should prefigure. And it should point us as a way to true happiness. And it's also the problem that's also posed in Ecclesiastes is also something that we're going to see in the story of Job, where we ask the question: Do the just receive their reward, and evil doers their punishment? The answer is no, and experience also shows that it does not just happen like that. And going again to the story of Job, we see the problem of just man's sufferings. For those of you who have not heard about the story of Job, it's about a man who always did what is pleasing to the Lord. And during this time,、um, the angels were like summoned in heaven, and there came Satan from earth, and he was before the Lord, and the Lord asked him. Have you seen my servant Job, who has been so pleasing to me, and there is no one who is so pleasing like my servant Job on this earth? And Satan said that it is because you have provided him with all of these good things. So how is he not going to please? Not going to please you? And so God then allows. The evil one to have control over all of the good things that Job had, all of the, Job's livestock, the abundant riches that he had, the servants and everything, his children. And when God allows that, what we see next is Job's children died, all of Job's possessions were destroyed in one day. Everything, like everything bad that can happen, happened to Job. 
and he still went and offered sacrifice and praised the Lord. And then again, when Satan was faced with the Lord, Lord asked him, see, he is again sacrificing to me and like worshiping me, even though all of these bad things happened to him. And Job was like, when first all of these bad things happened, Job said, God gave, God takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. And then um, Satan was saying like, well, it's because you haven't touched his own skin, his own flesh, and that's when he will curse you. And so God permitted that as well. And Job was afflicted very much. He was afflicted from the feet to his crown and so much sores. And his wife told him to curse God and die. And his friends came and they were all speculating and they all suspected that it is because of some sin that Job committed, even though in his heart he knew that he did not. So at the end of all of this, Job like sort of gives in and he asks God, why, where are you and why are you doing this to me? And God comes to him. So this whole scene that we see of Job's suffering, where a just man is suffering, it emphasizes the point that material things does not necessarily provide our happiness. And even when all of these things were happening to Job, like his attitude of faith and trusting in God, like later when he was asking God all of these questions, one of the things that God comes and tells him is, Do you, can you fathom my creation? Can you understand? Like God was bringing to him the knowledge of his creation. And Job was like thinking, like, you know, like things that he was seeing around him. And the things that we see around in our lives are a representation of wisdom. Like, how is this so? Like, how is this plant living in front of us? How are these animals being fed? How is this ecosystem being maintained and preserved for all these years? How are these animals moving, walking? Some are flying. Like, so much intricate details in this nature that even if I dedicate my entire life, I doubt if I'll be able to study it or understand it. So at the end of all of this, Job, I think it sort of points out to us that there is a lot of things which is beyond our knowledge and which is like no matter how much study we put into this, we don't really know if we will be able to achieve all of this vast knowledge in our life. And that is one thing that cries out from the book of Wisdom chapter 9 where it says the things of this world it is with great difficulty that we grasp and how can we guess the things on earth and being an engineer that is one of the things that i've realized in my own life like so many things in engineering the fundamentals obviously lie in nature and we use the things in nature to create we become co-creators with god to create all of these beautiful technology in this world and as we do that, one of the things I also wonder as I learn more, I'm just overwhelmed by these things. And I think how difficult it is for me to understand and grasp all of these concepts and to develop them. How can I ever understand what is heaven? Or how can I ever 
fathom what God's will is. Like what was God's will in sending His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, to save us. It is beyond me. So th this is something that we, we do not understand. Like pleasing God, does it provide our own satisfaction or what is our ultimate goal when we're trying to please the Lord? But rather, Job, in Job we see this devotion and his confidence in God. And later, like through all of these books, one of the things that stands out is what is the end goal, like, right? Like, were we always seeking something in here or is it pointing us to something more? And to, in, in a way, it is just pointing us to these characteristics of wisdom and wisdom that is seeking something more than what is on this world, like to an eternal destiny. And how it's also these books point out our own inability to reach this true knowledge and wisdom by our own efforts. And how we can invite God into our lives to um, get this fullness. Two of the people that are the representation of wisdom is Jesus, of course, and also fully human person would be Mary. Mary possessed the virtues that a man with wisdom should have. She possessed fear of God, love of one's neighbor, charity, truthfulness, temperance, prudence in speech, suffering in silence, while being aware of God's friendly providence. And going back to that verse, John chapter 8, verse 29, the one who sent me is with me, he has not left me alone, for I always do what is pleasing to him. Even when Mary did not know what was going on with her life, she who dedicated her life completely to God in the temple, who thought her life was going to be there, who did not yet know what the meaning of the Son of God coming to her meant, and the fulfillment of it even unto death, she simply submitted to all of that out of love for God because she knew the one she is that she is not alone that she is doing what is pleasing to the Lord and in the same way we go back to Jesus where he's the one who's saying these verses and along with Jesus let us also say the one who sent me is with me he has not left me alone for I always do what is pleasing to him so in the book of John we see how Jesus is prophesying about his death. Jesus is saying like even as he is walking into his suffering, he is not alone. And he is doing what is pleasing to his father. That's why even in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says to his father, Father, not my will, but thy will be done. And when I think of all of this, I think of what, what is the basic of all of this? What is the underlying thing behind this? And I'm reminded of John chapter 15, verse 10. 
If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remained in His love. Pleasing the Lord means remaining in love. And remaining in love means that we seek not our own interest, like the book of Ecclesiastes, but rather we seek the interest of the person whom we love, our Lord. For Mary, it was her love of God that prompted her to dedicate her entire life, that prompted her to seek the will of the Father, and even when Angel Gabriel appeared, even as she was unaware of everything that was happening in her life at that point, she was able to say, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it done unto me according to thy word. For the person who is in love will be able to seek what is worth, will be able to suffer for the sake of something or someone that is worth. That is what Jesus Christ did. He laid down his life out of love for us. It was love that prompted him and gave him his strength. It was love that made him to not just simply do what is pleasing to the Father in expectation of some reward of some kind on this earth. No, he died. Jesus died for our sins, but he rose again as promised. It is not the promise of some happiness in this world, some self-satisfaction, but rather that even in his suffering, he knew that he was not left alone, that his father was with him. Love prompts us to deeper relationship. And with our Lord, as we are trying to discover what it means to please the Lord, may the love of God guide you. May you also be reminded of St. Therese of Lisieux, who out of her excess of love that she had for God, wanted to be a victim of divine love. She said to Jesus, Jesus, there are victim souls who suffer for many of the poor souls that go to hell so that they won't be lost to hell. She said, well, my Jesus, I want to love you and I want to love you for all those that do not love you, for all those that do not care about you, for all those that do little things in their life each and every day for your each and every day without love imagine so many people out there serving the lord it is of nothing if we lack love so let our emotions let our heart beat let our thoughts actions words be guided in love and it's not something that's going to happen in a day. The Lord is going to bear fruit in His time. Be patient with Him. We're going to fall short. There are going to be many times when we're going to fall short of love. But even in those times, trust in God that He will give you the grace to love. For it says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, We love because He first loved us. 
We're not, we're, we're not loving because we merit something or we have something of our own. Even the love that we have for God comes from Him who is love. For God is love. And so, He will give us the grace to love Him above all things with all our strength, mind, and heart, and to love others likewise. There are many times in my life when I fall short of love, love for my God and love for others, but I don't lose hope and I don't lose my trust and I tell my Jesus, my Jesus, help me to love you a little bit more each moment of my life. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Thank you.